Hello, Covenant College. <laughs> I need to give a shout out to my fabulous Spanish and Christian mind students. Uh, thank you for your support and your great. Uh, I've told them that Covenant College is the best place to do something scary, like speaking in chapel uh, or doing a performance, because you're all such great cheerleaders. Uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, you've had great speakers in chapel, even this just this fall, and I feel very honored to be here. When Dr. Green asked me to speak in this chapel series, my first thought was to say no, because I was very busy and because speaking in public like this is not something that I enjoy. I also don't enjoy sharing personal information uh, in, public, in a public setting, and especially on social media. Uh, but I was so convinced that the topic in this series was so relevant and so brilliant. Um, and I had so many things to say about it that in the end I accepted the invitation. Our society tends to value being vulnerable and honest. And sometimes it's important for us to take those risks to encourage others. Most of my academic work, starting as a graduate student and then since then as a researcher, has been among non-Christians. And some of these friends have asked and wondered why, how I could be a Christian. Because if we're honest, there are many problems with Christianity and Christians in our society. So what I want to do today is to give this talk not only to all of you, uh, because I know that, like Dr. Green said, many of you may not be Christians or may be evaluating whether that's what you want to be. But I also want to talk to my non-Christian friends today and try to explain to them why I have chosen to be and remain a Christian. I'm very thankful for Dr. Green's introduction to this series because it offers a, offers a helpful framework to understand why this question is relevant and how we can begin to answer that question. So if you haven't heard that, that talk, I would encourage you to watch it on uh, Covenant College's YouTube channel. I don't have time today to give you all the reasons, or, or even some of them, uh, all of the rational, experiential reasons that I'm still a Christian, but I do want to share some thoughts on both and suggest some resources for you if you're interested in hearing more about it. So I want to focus on two points today. First, every belief system requires both faith and reason. And all systems have concepts that are difficult to understand or to practice. Christianity is not the only problematic belief system. Second, because of my experience, I am convinced now more than ever that Christianity tells the truth about the world and that it has all the resources that we need to address our deepest needs as human, humans and to flourish in this life and in eternity. Let me begin with the first part, with the statement that generally the grass is not greener on the other side. It certainly looks that way sometimes, right? But if you look at it closely, you will see that the other side also has problems and challenges. This happens when you see a successful person, for example, but you don't see all the sacrifices that they have made to get there. Or when you see a job that is different from your own and you want it, but you don't know that the other boss <laughs> the boss at that other job is unjust or very difficult to work with. The same is true with belief systems. All belief systems require both faith and reason, and they all have concepts that are difficult to understand or to practice. 
And in the end, everyone is forced to believe something. In high school, I became very interested in philosophy because I realized that philosophical questions led to conversations about origins, like where, where, where we come from, right? And God. Early on, I realized that everyone, including atheists and pure materialists, that's the people who believe there's only matter, like no love, no abstract things, um, they, all have, they all have premises and assumptions that they cannot prove and data they can't explain. And therefore, they believe these things by faith. For example, atheists believe that God does not exist, and materialists affirm that matter is eternal or self-creating or something similar, which you cannot prove, right? So the difference between their beliefs and mine are not that I believe by faith, apart from reason, and that they believe by reason, because both of us believe by reason and by faith. So the real difference between us is who is our authority for deciding what is true. In my case, my authority is God's revelation through the Bible, which atheists and materialists, of course, reject. Um, now, I realize that saying that the Bible is my authority has its own philosophical problems of knowledge and interpretation, like how do I know that I'm reading the Bible correctly, or how do I know that the Bible is the word of God? Okay, I don't have time to get into that. I do have reasons, <laughs> but that's a long conversation. Um, but what I can say about that is that if you believe that God has revealed himself through the Bible and has made himself known through the Bible to a community of Christians who have recognized this body of revelation, then you can also believe that he has revealed to you everything you need to know about him for life and salvation so that God somehow breaks through the circularity of knowledge. So he reveals himself despite the limitations of knowledge. My main point is that no matter what you believe, you believe some things purely by faith, even if you don't think you are religious. And therefore, you have to weigh these beliefs against reason to see whether your beliefs have an internal logic that is consistent within itself, and also weigh these beliefs against experience to see whether they explain the world in a way that seems true to what we see and what we experience, and whether they satisfy human needs. Tim Keller has done this comparison of beliefs in a way that is kind, and it's as fair as he can possibly be, uh, in books like The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, and Making Sense of God, Finding God in the Modern World. If you don't have time to read these books, you're not into books, he explains them in a series of podcasts on Spotify called Questioning Christianity with Tim Keller. This series includes lectures and Q&A sessions with a group of people from New York City who mostly self-identified as non-Christian. Keller discusses, uh, discusses how Christianity compares to other belief systems on different topics like justice, morality, hopefulness, meaning, identity, and other basic needs that humans have. They're, they're really great talks. He touches on a lot of rational and experiential ideas that I've had to wrestle with throughout my life and that have persuaded me that Christianity has the resources that other belief systems don't have and that explains the world in a more truthful way. So having set the basis that all belief systems have strengths and weaknesses, both require faith and reason, let me move on to my personal experience and say that I am convinced now more than ever that Christianity tells the truth about the world and has all the resources we need to flourish in this life and in eternity. 
this is an experiential assertion, so I'm not going to prove anything. I'm just going to explain what I mean, and this is my experience. First, let me define what I mean by being a Christian. I don't simply mean holding on to a cultural or family tradition or to organized religion. I mean believing that God has revealed himself through the Bible and that because of that, uh, and because of that, making the Bible your standard for life, for truth about the world, for knowledge about God, and for instructions as to how to have a relationship with God. In other words, it's not just an intellectual belief, but a personal appropriation of that belief and making the Bible your standard for decisions about what is true. This appropriation isn't easy. Uh, some people, we've talked about tradition, describing it as putting on clothes, right? Um, it goes against our desire to rule our own lives and not submit to anyone's authority, dating back to the Garden of Eden. But the truth is that we are always submitting to someone. The true freedom is an illusion. Uh, so, but, but if we are submitting to an infinitely good, just, and loving God who created us simply as an outpouring of his love and beauty and then came to rescue us when we sinned, then this submission restores us to harmony and peace with God, with God, with one another, and with the world. We call this restoration shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, but also wholeness and entire well-being. So here's my personal story with Christianity. I was born in a Christian family. At a young age, I realized that I had to decide for myself whether to believe the Bible. And I came to believe the good news of the gospel, and that is... That Jesus Christ, who is God, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth as a man to die for my sins that separated from a sinless and just God and who had created me and loved me. This is when I first became a Christian. And from that time, I began a relationship with God as my father. This relationship with God during my teen years reflected some of the challenges in human relationships between teenagers and their parents, right? I loved God and yet resented his rules for my life and was kind of miserable because of that. I focused on all that I couldn't do that in the end wasn't really good for me. And I wanted to rule my life free from God even while I knew that he loved me, that he wanted what was best for me, and that he was trying to protect me from hurting myself as a kind father would. Late in high school, I met some friends who had a close relationship with God and showed me all the goodness and fullness and peace that I could have if I just obeyed my Heavenly Father and got to know him and his desires because he was infinitely good and beautiful. I also saw how my friends were secure in their relationships with God and were loving towards others, and they had meaning and hope for the future in the midst of difficulties and challenges in life. So I asked God to reveal himself to me like that, to make our relationship a closer one, and he did this through the Bible. I began to study it and to understand what God's purpose was for me and how good he was. As I began to obey him and to love him and to trust him, and especially to love those around me because of him, then I, grew clo I drew closer to God, and I began to experience a life of meaning, peace, joy in my daily work, comfort in difficult times, and God's presence during times of deep disappointment and discouragement. Like any relationship with the Father, 
I've had days when I feel closer or further from him since then. But through all these years, God has been with me, has directed me in decisions, and has helped me. This is why I devoted a large part of my education to studying the Bible. I have two theological degrees. My life goal is to know and love God above all things, to love others unconditionally like God has loved me, and to live in such a way that others would see the beauty of Christ in and through me. I am nowhere near good at this, but every time I fail, I ask God and others for forgiveness and then ask God for his help. Now you or my non-Christian friends may be thinking, what does all this have to do with doubting Christianity? <laughs> it doesn't seem like you ever actually doubted it or that you were ever open to rational arguments against it. You only believe Christianity because you were taught that all your life and you blindly follow a system that was constructed to oppress the weak and manipulate people so that they remain obedient puppets of the powerful. That's a fair question. I've heard that, okay. Uh, Christians must tell the truth, right? So part of being truthful includes acknowledging that Christians have done terrible things and have used Christianity for evil purposes. But to be fair, we know that all kinds of other belief systems have used <laughs> uh, for manipulation, have been used for manipulation and evil purposes too, including Marxism and philanthropy, which are supposed to minimize inequalities in society and help those who need help, right? So we lament and condemn the unchristian actions done in the name of Christianity while we strive to represent Christ accurately and tell the truth about the world. In fact, as Tim Keller points out, the problem with Christians who are overbearing, self-righteous, opinionated, insensitive, and harsh, and we've seen a lot of them, we see them all the time, right, in our society. The problem with them is not that they are too Christian, but that they're not Christian enough. He says, they, he says and I'll, I'll quote, because it's such a good quote, they're fanatically zealous and courageous, but they're not fanatically humble, sensitive, loving, empathic, forgiving, and understanding as Christ was. What strikes us as overly fanatical is actually a failure to be fully committed to Christ and his gospel, end quote. I believe that if the Bible is true, we should be open and not afraid to bring our questions to it and test it. The Psalms are full of questions. But questioning can strengthen our faith and doesn't have to draw us away from it. I believe that it is possible to question, one, question one's beliefs, compare them to other ones, and then decide they're still better than the alternative. Through grad school and my adult life, I've had a curiosity to learn how people make sense of the world. So I've studied different perspectives, formally and informally, in classes or with friends, um, and have been close friends with people of different beliefs, such as atheists, agnostics, and Muslims, and more with whom I've had mutually respectful, rich, theological, and philosophical questions about these things. I've deeply enjoyed this conversations, these conversations, and I continue to, to, to have them and enjoy them whenever I can. But there is one thing about Christianity that keeps on pulling me back to the Bible, and I appreciate more and more as the years go by, and that is this. The Bible tells the truth about sin and brokenness in our world and offers the only means to really address it and not fall into despair. That's what you get with the alternatives, all right? Either denial of sin or despair. 
What I mean by that is this. God created a beautiful and perfect world out of the overflow of his beauty and perfection. And he created human beings in God's image to reflect him to each other in a perfect relationship with one another. But Adam and Eve chose to trust the serpent instead of loving God, of the loving God they knew, and they disobeyed God's command in an act of independence and rebellion from God. Then sin and death entered the world, breaking every harmonious relationship between humans and creation, humans and God, and humans with humans, even with themselves. So we see this brokenness as a result. The world of humans still bears some remnants of that first beauty and the creator's image in them. When we play with puppies or hold babies or have a heartfelt conversation with a friend, we feel this love and beauty. We were created for this. When we write a good paper, create a piece of artwork, or play well in a recital or at a tournament, we delight in the creator's image in us. We were created for this. But when we look at the horrors happening today in Iran or the Ukraine or the, the hateful comments people post on social media about other human beings or, or bringing it closer to home, when I say hurtful things to a relative or friend, we know that this beautiful world is also deeply broken and full of injustice, hate, and sorrow. We were not created for this. To deny either the beauty or the brokenness of the world is not to be truthful. And the Bible affirms both the beauty and the brokenness. And yet, the Bible says that God himself, who cannot die, chose to take on a human body in Jesus so that he could die. To pay for the sins of the world. To satisfy his own justice as the just judge. And recover the original beauty and perfect harmony of relationships in the world. Like one author put it, God saw that humans had brought sin into the world, so he wrote himself into the script of human history to save humanity from their own sin. I teach Don Quixote and meta-narrative, and that's exactly what that sounds like. Um, God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, entered into our suffering and pain to save us from it. Like Ruth Naomi Floyd so beautifully said a couple of weeks ago, who wants to believe in a God that is distant and detached? No one. We want a God who has experienced our sorrow, loneliness, and pain. And Jesus has experienced all of these and is with us when we do. People often ask, what reason can a loving and powerful God have to allow suffering and pain, especially for innocent people? That's a hard question, and it's, it's fair, right? God hasn't given us the answer to this question in all instances of suffering. But as Keller says, which I think is helpful, we have the answer in one very important instance. Jesus was completely innocent and yet was tortured, suffered, and, bru and was brutally murdered because it was the only way to pay for our sins and save us from them. It was the only way to satisfy the justice of a holy and just God. If God had a reason for putting Jesus, the innocent one, the truly innocent one of us, through, through such a violent death, then he also has a reason for every kind of suffering 
and we have the assurance that God the Son, Jesus, understands our pain and grieves with us because of it. He does not call suffering good, even when there's an inescapable reason for it. We know this because Jesus wept and was angered at the death of Lazarus, even a few moments before Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. But more importantly for me, when I sin, when I hurt others, when I fail to love God above all things and my selfishness becomes exposed, I have a way of dealing with the darkness in my own heart. I can go to God, confess it to him, repent from it, and be restored to my heavenly father. I'm also called to make things right with others, asking for forgiveness and turning away from my sin, and then be restored to them as well. Only Christ's death on the, on the cross actually pays for the sins I commit and gives me the basis for repentance and restored relationships, not only with others, but also within myself and with God. This is not just me trying to self-improve every day. This is, not, this is me reconnecting myself to the source of all life and beauty and peace that is the perfect, loving, and beautiful creator of the world so that I can become more and more like him as he cleanses me from my sins and en enables me to love those around me. To illustrate this in a different way, imagine that you're a branch from a huge, beautiful, life-giving tree with leaves that heal diseases and bearing delicious, nourishing fruit. One day you decide that you want to be independent and bear your own kind of fruit and move to a different location. So you sever yourself from the tree. Because you were a branch, you don't die immediately, but you start withering away as time passes since you have cut yourself off from the life-giving tree and its roots. You will not be able to bear fruit or even keep your leaves green for long. All you can expect is death, even if you still have remnants of the beauty you once had when you were connected with, to the tree. Your only hope of life and fruitfulness is to graft yourself back into the tree where you will find again purpose, fruitfulness, and life. Jesus told his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. Jesus said to Martha a few moments before resurrecting Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. John eleven twenty five. God told the Israelites through Moses to choose life from the, for themselves and not death. To choose God over idols and rebellious is... To choose God over idols and rebellion is to choose life. We were created for this. So why am I still a Christian? Because I believe that God has revealed himself in the Bible to be a trustworthy, loving creator who tells the truth about the world, sees its deep sin and brokenness, and yet has intervened at great personal cost to rescue those who put their trust in him. He knows me deeply with all my sinfulness and insecurities and yet has committed himself to loving me in actions 
that restore me to life and beauty and wholeness, not only with him, but with creation and with other human beings. When Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to leave with the other ones who had turned away, they answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't you think this God is worth getting to know? Pray with me. Dear Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word that is living and powerful. And we don't understand how it all works, but we know that you have revealed yourself and that we can know you because of it. Thank you for loving us and saving us at great personal cost. And I pray that you would help us to know you and love you more and more each day. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is worthy and who has been slain, I pray. Amen.